Well, hey, I want to welcome all of you who are joining us here right here in Greenfield, and uh, for those who are tuning in from Oak Creek and online, it is great to be with everybody. Hopefully you had a good extended uh, a time off. Uh, hopefully it was an extended time off for you. And uh, hey, I just wanted to gauge, or at least begin, by gauging how your Thanksgiving was. And uh, so I want to ask you a series of questions, and I just want you to raise your hand if you know, you'd say, hey, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Now, how many of you would say that you ate too much for your Thanksgiving meal? How many would say? I'll be, be honest. How many, how many would say you ate too much? How many? Now, Oak Creek, just to let you know, nobody in Greenfield raised their hand. We're all health nuts here, and even on Thanksgiving, so we didn't raise our hand. No, uh, I guess the average Thanksgiving meal, the number of calories, is 4,500. All right? 4,500. So if you, you track your calories uh, you, and, like I do... Mine was only 2,000, even though it was 4,000, all right? So, uh, how, okay, here's another question. How many of you, after, you know, eating, overeating on Thanksgiving for your Thanksgiving meal, you said, oh, I'll, I won't eat for days, I won't eat for days, and then a few hours later, you were eating again? How many? How many did that? How many of you? Once again, Oak Creek, nobody in Greenfield raised their hand because, once again, we, we, we haven't eaten since Thanksgiving here in Greenfield, I guess. All right, one more. You guys are doing great. How many of you battled the crowds, and it's a battle. You battled the crowds on Black Friday, which actually starts on Thursday, when you're Thursday night when you think about it, but it's still called Black Friday. You battled the crowds on Black Friday because you had to get something. You had to buy something. How many of you did that? How many of you did that? Ah, that's great. Two of you here in Greenfield, I know in Oak Creek, none of you were out on, on Black Friday because we are in week three of our series called Money Wise. And uh, we, we're talking about the series. The reason we're doing the series is because what I have been calling uh, the sobering statistics about money. And I talked about these in week one, and I thought, you know, it'd be a good time uh, to start sobering again, all right? And to start negative, and we're going to bring the stats back again uh, as we kind of review these things. So here's some of the stats we introduced. These are the sobering statistics about money we talked about. That 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, the average family is 38000 in debt, and this is consumer debt. This is not mortgage debt. Now, this doesn't include uh, student loan debt. Actually, the average student loan debt as of, uh, this year is actually uh, $40,000, and so that might, you know, you add another 40000 onto that 38000 Nearly one million people filed for bankruptcy last year. 33% of people ages 45 to 54 have less than $10,000 saved in retirement, which is at that time where you really start thinking about uh, your retirement. 40% have only $400 in their savings account, which means they're just one emergency away from just being totally wiped out their savings. And then here's the, it all culminates in this. Money's the number one reason for divorce and number one reason that uh, couples fight over. And three in four, 75%, say money is the number one cause of stress and anxiety in their life. You know, I think we, for many of us, we can relate to that song that we just heard. It just feels like the money is running low. Well, it's because of these statistics and the impact that they're having on our lives that we decided to name this series Money Wise. And the word wise is short for the word wisdom. And here's how we define wisdom the ability to make sound decisions based on our understanding. And so we've said our goal through the series is to equip ourselves to make, make better or, or to make better decisions, to increase our understanding so we can make better decisions when it comes to this area of our finance so that we don't end up being another statistic. Now, show of hands, how many of you 
would say that, uh, or how many of you saw the movie or read the book, The Perfect Storm? How many of you say, you know, you, you saw it? You saw it, you read the book. All right, all right. It's, it's, it's a story or it's a movie about a, 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 fisher in the, a fisherman in the Northwest who kind of looked like George Clooney. I don't know if you noticed that or not, kind of looked like him. And uh, he, if, you, if you read the book or the movie, you know, boats were sinking and people were drowning. And what was really kind of interesting is that uh, when they described this movie, when it came out in that summer, they called it the feel-good movie of the summer, which I thought that was kind of an interesting way of describing it. Uh, but what it's about, it's actually a true story about a cataclysmic weather event that happened in the early 90s. And there was this big, low-pressure system that developed uh, over the Great Lakes, and then another one over Bermuda, and then one over the North Atlantic, and they all converge at the same vicinity at the same time, and it formed or created the perfect storm. And it was a huge storm. Now, here's what I know about every single one of us. Every single person in here will eventually either have one, will have one, or they'll experience some sort of financial storm in their lives. We'll all do it. Now, for some of us, uh, or for all of us, we, we have some of those storms come into our lives, and they're kind of this, this low-pressure system. They're kind of just, un they're not connected to necessarily anything really big, but we experience them in the form of this. A short-term emergency of some kind. Now, you don't need to raise your hand for this one, but how many of you get surprised when something breaks down or there, there's an emergency of some kind? Now, I know I do, and this is kind of interesting when you think about it, because, like, you know, for example, your car. car. You know, you're, you're driving your car, and all of a sudden it breaks down, and then you go, man, I can't believe that happened. Can't believe that. Now, why do we react that way? I react that way. I mean, why is that? Because I've never met someone who had a car for any length of time that's never broken down. I mean, then all of a sudden it breaks down. We're like, man, how did that happen? I can't believe that happened. We act so surprised. I've never met anybody who owned a house that said, you know, I've owned this house for 10 years. And you know what? I've never had anything break. I've never had to fix anything. I've never had to replace anything. I've just never had to have it happen. I've never had anyone who's, who's, who has a family and they've said, you know, I've never had an accident or no one's ever gotten sick. I've just never had that happen. But yet it happens and we act so surprised. Why do we act surprised? We should never be surprised because we know it's going to happen. You see, every one of us has been hit with the financial storm of short-term emergencies. But on occasion, all of us experience something greater. We experience a cataclysmic financial event. This is like the perfect storm. Uh, all of us can remember the financial crisis of 2008 when that hit. I mean, that was just some of the worst times, uh, financially speaking, uh, for many of us for months and years, and maybe for some of us, even still. And there were many things that contributed to that whole experience, uh, but one of them was this. It's the real estate market just collapsed. And it was the largest housing slump since the Great Depression. And for many of us, we owed more on our house than what it was worth. And for some of us, we were forced to leave our house and move out of our house because we couldn't afford to pay the mortgage payment. And as a result, foreclosure rates were the highest that they've ever been. Uh, my, my family or my parents, they own a house in Florida. And we'd go to see them once a year. And I can remember in 2009, uh, we were driving down their block. And there were six homes that were in foreclosure, and there was 12 homes on the block. I mean, it was just crazy what happened in the real estate market. But that's not all that happened. You know what? The stock market tanked as well. 
And uh, all those who had 401ks saw them just cut in half at least. And it was like our 401ks turned into 201ks when you really think about it. And, you know, for, for many of us, you know, we recovered, but not fully. And maybe we never will recover. And then all of these contributed to this one right here, a banking crisis of global proportions. And the federal government stepped in. And they threw a trillion dollars at this thing. And, uh, you know, I think most of us would say we're not really sure, sure what it was used for. But this was the financial perfect storm. I mean, this was the trifecta when you think about it. And, and millions of people were affected by this at all economic levels. I mean, you know, this was the time where, where there was more people receiving unemployment benefits uh, than ever before in our history. Corporations, I mean, just dependable, steadily growing corporations, uh, they were just slashing jobs. I can remember just all the conversations having with people, hey, I was with this place for 15 years, and they, I don't have a job anymore. I've been in this place for a while, I don't have a job anymore. And we saw the biggest reduction in our workforce, in our workforce rate since 1945. Uh, I heard the story about one guy who lost a bunch, and he was talking to a friend of his, and his friend said, how are you sleeping at night? To which this guy said, like a baby. And he said, oh, you're sleeping through the night? And the guy said, no, I wake up every two hours and cry. You know, and this is how many of us, this is how many of us, you know, felt during that time. Now, today what I want to do is I want to talk about how we can be prepared for both the short-term and cataclysmic financial emergencies that we will face so that when they happen, we can experience peace in the middle of the storm. Now, as I've been saying throughout this series, is that Jesus taught more and talked more about money and possessions than anything else by far. And it's not that he wanted something from us. It's actually that he wanted something for us. And one of the for us is that he wanted was that instead of ex experiencing anxiety and stress, that we would experience peace. That instead of fear, because we know that he's involved, that we experience faith in the middle of all this. Now, last week, I, kicked, I, I talked about a very simple and yet wise financial plan that can be used. It doesn't matter what your economic level is. And you can do this whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Uh, and it's a really great plan. And it's called the 100 plan because it's based on 100% of our income. And Don and I, we've been using this plan throughout our marriage. It's been a lifesaver for us. And another way of, of saying this plan, it's called the 10-10-80 plan. And, uh, or you may call it this, the give, save, live plan. And, and here's what this plan looks like. Now, the first 10 is we take the first 10 and we give to God by tithing. Now, if you're not a Christian or a religious person, you, you would just modify this for wherever you are. But this is, this, the idea is this is that every time we're paid, if you're a Christian, we face a test. And the test comes down to this. Who am I going to put first? Who am I going to trust? And the tithe is that step where we say, okay, God, I'm giving this back to you. The, the, the number 10 represents test or trust. And I'm giving this back to you, and I'm trusting you in this area of my life. And when we do this, we invite him to be a part of this area. Now, last week, we talked about this whole idea. And as a part of this, uh, I made what was called the 100-Day Tithe Challenge. And we had these cards available, and they're, in the, they're available uh, in, the seat, in the seat pocket ahead of you. Oak Creek, same thing as well. And we said, man, if you're going to take this step, take this card with you and then put it somewhere in for the next 100 days. We just want you to just continue to test God. And I tell you, it was great the number of conversations and emails I had. Just great questions and just, hey, we're wrestling with this and all this stuff. And I'm just really proud of you for doing that. Now, for some of you, the idea of tithing 
as we think about tithing, we think, okay, well, Mark, if I do that, that's going to decrease my financial margin for my life in times of emergency. But when we invite God into the process of our financing, he can actually create margin. Because as we said last week, 90% with God is always better than 100% without. So this is the spiritual component of it. Now, the second 10 is what we're going to talk about today. And this is, we set aside 10 and we save it for the, for, and prepare for the financial storms that are going to come our way. The financial storms are emergencies that happen, uh, the cataclysmic events, retirement, which for some of us is going to be a storm if we're not prepared for it. Now, show of hands, how many of you were not aware that you had to save for your long-term future? How many of you were like, well, I had to save for retirement. How many are you not aware? What's is interesting about this is no one raised their hand. Oh, Craig, I don't know if anyone raised your hand there as well, but Money Magazine released this study. It said one in three Americans have zero dollars saved for retirement. And I think we all know this and we all want to, but we just don't feel like we can. Uh, if you're in your 20s or your 30s right now, listen, I'm telling you, you begin to do this and you get this right. You will put yourself in a place where when the financial storms hit your life, whether they're short-term or cataclysmic, you will experience peace in the middle of your storm. Now, the last 80, we said uh, that represents the last 80% where we live on the rest. We trust God to live on the rest. And we're going to talk about this uh, next week. But today what I want to do is I want to look at a story about an economic storm that hit during the time of Joseph. Now, we find the story of Joseph, and some of you may, may have heard of Joseph, be familiar with Joseph, that hit during the time of Joseph. We find Joseph's story in the very first book of the Bible. It's called the book of Genesis. And uh, what's great is Joseph, who lived hundreds of years before Jesus, he is one of the best stories in all the Bible. Here's, here's some of Joseph's story. So Joseph was his daddy's favorite boy. And his brothers didn't care for this too much, and so they were very jealous of Joseph, so much so that one day they decided to grab him, and they sold him as a slave to Egypt. And then they went home, and they told their dad that he had gotten eaten by an animal. You think you have sibling problems, you know? All right, I guarantee you it's not near as bad as that, all right? And so, and so th this is what happened. But through a series of amazing events, like I said, this is the short version. This would be a great movie. No one's ever really come up with a good movie on Joseph's story. But through a series of just amazing events, Joseph rises to number two in Egypt behind Pharaoh. And the way this happens is that God gave him the ability to interpret a very troubling dream that Pharaoh had. And Joseph stepped in. And he said, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be seven years of economic good times followed by seven years of an economic storm. Well, Pharaoh was so blown away by this that he put Joseph in charge of preparing their country for this economic storm. And so here's how the writer of Genesis describes what happened. He says, and sure enough, for the next, season, ne next seven years, there were bumper crops everywhere. And during those years, the good years, the bumper crops are the good years, Joseph took a portion of all the crops grown in Egypt and he stored them for the government in nearby cities. After seven years, the granaries were filled to overflowing. There was so much grain, like sand on the seashore, that the people could not keep track of the amount. And so what did he do during those seven good years? He saved. Now, don't miss this, because this is so important. Joseph was wise enough during times of prosperity to prepare for the inevitable storms of the future. Now, let's be honest. For the most part, 
we are right now in an, an economically prosperous time. You know, unemployment rates across most segments uh, are, are at the lowest that we have seen uh, for, mo- for some of us in our, in our history. There are more jobs to be filled than people who are searching to fill them in many segments right now. The real estate market has pretty much fully recovered and is still slowly growing. The stock market, while it's had a rough couple of weeks, as many of us have felt the last couple of weeks, it is still at very high levels. The economy, for the most part, is doing really, really well. Yet instead of using this time and leveraging this time of of prosperity to build up our reserves and to save for a rainy day, Americans are spending more than ever, they're financing more than ever, and they're charging more than ever rather than saving. And actually, they're saving less than ever. Now, King Solomon, uh, King Solomon, who, who, who was a third king of Israel, who was one of the wealthiest people who has ever lived. He wrote this great book, or most of a great book in the Bible called Proverbs. Here's what he said. He said, the wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends whatever he gets. So what does the wise person do? He or she saves. saves. That's right. I, I'm kind of answers right there, just in case you want to. And, and, and the foolish person, what does he or she do? They spends whatever they have. Now, let me give you kind of a visual of this. Just, you know, for some of you, you're visual people. I'm visual. So here's how this looks. For most of us, we assume this, okay, that, that our income is going to increase over the years. Now, I know for some of us, we'd be like, well, that's not my story, that you kind of plateaued from, from an income standpoint, and, you know, that, that may be true. But for the most part, most of us would say that our income has increased. So here's what most of us do with our spending, we just match our spending. We, we take our spending and we match it with our increase in income. In fact, a recent study showed that 8 in 10 Americans do just this. And if we do this, we can never create margin so as we can never have peace. And that's 80% of us. Now, I'll be honest with you. This was me for my first 30 years of my life. Now, you might say, well, Mark, didn't you have a savings account? Well, I had a savings account. It just didn't have any savings in it. And it wasn't until I was in my early 30s, and someone invited me actually to a Dave Ramsey one-day seminar, and I was like, I don't want to go to that, but I ended up going to it anyways. And uh, it was just really life-changing for me. And then I started to, to read some of the resources that he recommended, and I learned about the 100 plan, the 10, 10, 80 plan. And I, like I said, it, was, it, just, it changed my life as far as that's concerned. Now, now for me... The tithing thing uh, I had in place, and so God was, was meeting my needs and, and all that stuff, so that, that was in place. But I had never put into practice, I had never followed Joseph's example as far as preparing for the financial storms by creating margin. I just didn't have any margin. But I finally decided one day, I said, this is what I'm going to do. And so as a result, I started spending less, and I started to save more as to create margin. As I said, it was just life-changing for me. Now, Joseph... He was wise enough in times of prosperity to prepare for the financial storms of the future. And one hit. And here's how the writer describes it. He says, at, at last, the seven years of the bumper crops, the good years throughout the land of Egypt, came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began. So here's our, here's our economic storm right here. Just as Joseph had predicted, the famine also struck all the surrounding countries But, in other words, we're different than everybody else. Throughout Egypt, there was plenty of food. Now, why was there plenty during this time? 
Because Joseph created margin. Because during the prosperous times, Joseph was preparing for the financial storms. And I, I would bet, I think deep down, we all want this, but I think very few people do it. And I think one of the reasons very few of us do it is we just think we can't afford to do it. And so as a result, we are unprepared for the future storms that may come. But here's something that maybe you have you've been never told before. Maybe you're never told this, but here, here's the truth. We don't have to make a lot to accumulate a lot. Once again, here's our, our, our money manager, King Solomon. Here, here's what he wrote. He wrote, whoever gathers money little by little, little by little, makes it grow. And Solomon introduces us to the miracle of compound interest. Uh, Albert Einstein actually said this. He said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. That over time, a little by little, a little by little, if invested well, can grow to larger amounts with the miracle of compound interest. Now, let me give you some examples of, of how this looks. Let's just say, if you were 25, and you know, I'm 27, so this is really close to me. If you're 25, all right, and you save $2.75 a day for until you're 65, here's how much you'll save. You'll save $40,000. $40,000, which is good. Yeah, it's $40,000. Okay, two seventy-five dollars a day. You know, you're, you're cutting, that's half your cappuccino money right there, all right? Half your cappuccino money. All right, now, what would that money turn into, the $40,000, little by little, little by little, little by little, but with the, the miracle of compound interest, with historic rates of return, here's what that $40,000 would turn into. $1.1 million. I mean, think about that. two seventy-five a day, which all of us can do two seventy-five a day. With, with compound interest, we'd become a millionaire just through our coffee money. Uh, the New York Times recently did a story of this uh, administrative assistant who worked for a law firm in New York. And she worked there until she died at age 96. So Sylvia Bloom didn't make a whole lot of money, but part of her responsibility was that she would invest her boss's personal finances. And so he would set up these accounts, and uh, then she would put his money, that was part of her, her job, put her money in there. And so what she decided to do is she decided to take very small amounts because you know, she didn't make a lot of money, and she decided to stick some in some of these investments as well. Well, eventually she died, and they divided up her estate between two places. One was a social uh, services organization, a real good one in New York, and the other one was this organization that helped uh, underprivileged kids prepare for college. That little by little investment from Sylvia turned into $9 million when she died, and not even her close family and relatives knew this, and then she gave it all away. Now, I think when, when we hear some of this, we're like, oh yeah, that's great, but that, I could never do that. That's not me. Things are too tight for me. And so here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I want to get real practical with everybody. And uh, I want to answer this question. How could you start creating margin in your financial picture? How can you find money where right now you can't necessarily find money? Now remember, if you're a Christian, like this is just if you're a Christian, you know, we never cut from God. Because this is inviting God into our finances. And so we, we don't cut the first 10 with God. But what are some other options for us so we can begin to create margin? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some examples. 
And I'm going to start easy, all right? Because you know you got to kind of lower the bar at first, and then we're going to kind of kind of raise the bar a little bit. And I would bet that as I give you some of these examples, some of you we're going to go. It's going to be like audible gasps in here. How could he? How could he? No, no. You know you're going to go like he's nuts. He's nuts. He's lost it. Also, okay. Thanksgiving wasn't good. I get it. But here here's the thing. Here's the thing. Listen, if you're in the he's nuts category, I am hoping over time these type of examples become normal for you because God wants us to have peace. And if we're going to have peace in our finances, we have to make decisions that very few people are willing to make. So think little by little, little by little, little by little. Okay, here's some examples. Here we go. What if you start eating out less and taking your lunch to work? Now, Dave Ramsey, he estimates that that the average family could save $200 a month by eating out less. Now, you take the $200 and you invest that over 20 years, could turn into $150 just by eating out less. Now, when my wife and I eat out, we have a small budget for eating out, and uh, what we do is we actually have a budget for how, you know, how much we can spend uh, when we go out. And so we'll do that, and then here's what we do. We usually always drink water when we go out. Now, some of you are like, oh, Mark, i got to have my Diet Coke. No, you don't. No, you don't. And, and some of you have kids who are like, well, we have to have our sodas. Listen, the next time your kids ask for sodas when you're out, you tell those little suckers this. You say this. <laughs> you say, listen, no, 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 no. You're having water today because mommy and daddy's future depends on it, all right? That's how you drop on them right there when they ask water. But, but see, and this is why this is so important. This is why it's really good. That the average family spends $1,000 a year just on sodas in restaurants. There's your emergency fund right there. Next time the air conditioning goes out or you get a flat tire, all right? And we can all do that. All right, here's another one. Make your own coffee at home. <gasps> Did he say that? Did he say that? Oh my gosh, I'm leaving the faith. Now listen, listen, I'm just what if? I mean, just stay with me, stay with me. Some of you coffee, stay, oh, you know, you're nervous. Listen, what if instead of going to four bucks, okay? What if instead of going to four bucks that you, you made your coffee at home? Now here's the thing I'm not doing, okay? You, you can come back to the faith now. I'm not telling you to cut out coffee. I'm not stupid. There's a reason why we serve free coffee here. And it's because I need you to stay awake during church. Otherwise, you're out cold. All right? So I'm not telling you to cut a coffee. I'm just saying, hey, listen, what if you made it at home? Now, with, at the rare occasions I get coffee out, and I know for some of you, this is like sacrilegious what I'm going to say. All right? But just, just stay with me. The rare occasions that I, I get coffee out, I'll go to McDonald's. All right? Why? Because it's only a buck and it's any size. And it's okay coffee, all right? I just want the caffeine. I could care less about the taste. I know some of you care less about the taste and all that stuff. But here, the average family spends $128 a month on coffee outside of the home. Once again, it's low-hanging fruit. Okay, here's another one. Another one. Once a year, you got to call the companies you have bills with. This is, you can save money on this tomorrow. Every year, you shop your home and your car insurance. Shop your Wi-Fi plans. Shop your cell phone plans. I'm telling you, you do this every year, you will save money tomorrow. Here's another one. What if you cut cable? <gasps> he didn't say that. He didn't say that. What about ESPN and HGTV? Listen, the average family spends $103 a month on cable. When the Brewers were playing in Game 7 against the Dodgers uh, a couple weeks ago, we were able to watch the game, legally speaking, and we don't have cable. There is ways through different streaming services and different things like that. You can save a bunch of money here. Now, here's another one. 
Don and I, we do this one. We refuse to pay full price for any clothing, electronics, or home goods. Because here's the thing. Eventually, everything goes on sale. I know some of you are thinking, well, Mark, the clothing thing, we see that every weekend. We, we, you live that out well. I know. But listen, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Now, I've told this a couple times. Uh, throughout the last couple of weeks, but we had to get four cell phones be- because uh, the- we bought two for the boys as our first ones. And then Don and I, she had a five, an iPhone five. I had a 6S and they were starting to go. I mean, we run them into the ground. I mean, that's just kind of our deal. And that's another conversation. But we're like, okay, we have to get four. And so what we did is uh, we-, we always get last year's model. It gets to a certain point and then the price drops. And here's the thing. Who can tell the difference? The camera's better. Okay, woo, all right, great. Uh, and, then, and then what we did is we started shopping around for a deal. We started shopping around for a deal. And uh, so we, because of the deal we found, we spent $400 less per phone. Per phone. Just by just pushing, 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 pushing. Now, with Christmas coming, with Christmas coming, this is a big one for a lot of us because we feel a lot of stress with Christmas coming. And the reason we feel a lot of stress is because we feel like we have to spend a bunch of money because we have to buy everybody a gift, and it's just it's more than we can afford. And so what we do is we end up just putting it all on the credit card, and then you know I'll deal with that in January when it comes. And so we're going to have a Merry Christmas, but we're going to have a sucky start to the new year when that credit card bill comes, if we're honest. Now, this was us for a while. And we were like, why, why are we living like this? Why are we doing this? So finally, we, we decided that we were going to have some tough conversations. And uh, we sat down with some of our family members and said, we just can't afford to do this. And uh, what if we come up with a plan? And so we came up with a plan. And it was one sibling and one, one kid. And we set a price limit on that. And uh, we left it at that. Here's the thing. Christmas is back to being merry again. Because we're living within our means and there is no January credit card bill anymore. I, do, I recently read that 30% of Americans are still paying off last year's Christmas gifts, still doing it, but we don't have, we don't have to do that. Now, those are just a few real, real simple ones that we can all do. I want to give you two, what for many of us would be radical ones. All right. So if you're not mad, you're going to get mad. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Okay. Here, here, here's one. Here's one. What if you sold your shiny new car you're making payments on and bought a good, reliable used car? <gasps> he did not say that. He did not say that. Yes, yes. Here, here's, here's the thing. I, I know this is going to surprise some of you. Did you know that a good, reliable used car can go from point A to point B just as good as a new one? I don't know if you knew that or not. Now, here's what's great about that. For many of us, we, we made this move, and we would cut our car payment in half or get rid of it altogether. The average American, the car payment now is nearly $500 a month. You cut that down. That's the average. You cut that down and invested that over, over 30 years, you're retired. There it is, just in the car payment. See, this is, this is how we got to think if we want financial margin. Now, one more. Now, let me set this up with this one, this way. How many of you know someone not approaching retirement, okay? They're not approaching retirement or things like that. How many of you know someone who, who sold their home and moved into a different home? And it wasn't a larger, bigger, more expensive home. It was a smaller, less expensive home. How many of you know someone who, who, who did that? That's right. Some of you do. That's right. But very few do. Why? Because it takes humility to do that. You know that we can cut, the average family can cut their mortgage payment by five to $700 a 
a month just by doing that. Now, I know some of you are getting ready to move into bigger homes and you hate my guts right now. Listen, I, I, I just, I just want to let you know, you know, this is such an important thing. 80% of the people in our country live with financial stress. And if we don't want to live with that financial stress, we have to be willing to make decisions that alleviate that stress. You see, if we want peace during the financial storms, we have to be willing to create margin. Now, I don't know if you do this or not, but for me, what I prioritize, I automate it. I do. You know, so for me, for retirement, when I found out, hey, 401ks, and you can have money automatically taken out and invested tax-free, I was like, phew, that's great. I don't have to get my greedy little hands on it ever, you know? I never see it, and so it's gone. And so as long as I can remember, I, I've just been doing this, and if you have the opportunity to do this, I, I just want to encourage you to do this. Because, you know, that little-by-little little investment, little-by-little little investment, that can just add up so much for us. You know, I also do this with giving as well. It's automatically taken out for me. I get paid twice a month, automatically taken out. I'm going to make sure that first 10 goes to God, and it goes here. And, uh, you know, for some of you, this is what you do as well. And I just want to encourage you, if you don't, do it, because this is such an important principle. So here's what I want to wrap up with. I want to give you a couple challenges. Here's the first challenge. What's one thing? One thing that you could do today, something you could take out of your life, and then taking out of your life, you will begin to create some margin in your life. Now, it may be big. It may not be big, but it makes a big difference for you. And then here's the other challenge. If you've never done it, I want to challenge you to go to, to the financial peace course. And we're doing the one-day crash course. It's going to happen next week. And it's free, 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 free. All right? So you don't have to pay anything for this, and this usually costs. I want to encourage you to do it. Just check it out. Why? Why? Because you're going to go further, faster because of it. And so head to this link or head, head to the next steps area if you are able to go to this. Now, most of us here, we would say that, that, we're, that we're followers of Jesus. Not everybody is, and that's okay, but most of us are. And for, for those of us who are, there is one big hang-up. There is one thing that, that just causes more stress in our lives, and it's in the area of our personal finances. During the Crusades... Uh, where the crusaders, most of them were actually mercenaries that they hired from other countries. Before they could go to battle, they had to be baptized. And so what they would do, the mercenaries would, is that they would go to get baptized and they'd take their sword and they would hold it above the water while their entire body went under the water. As if their way of saying, okay, I'm, I'm not giving you this part, God. I'm going to fight you on this one. I'm holding this part away from you. You know, for those of us here who have made a decision to follow Jesus, for, for many of us, the part we're still holding outside the water, so to speak, is our wallet because we just want to do it our way. And what I want to challenge you to do is to do something that, that may require a radical shift for you, and that's just try to do it God's way. And I understand it's going to be different than what other people do it. You're going to like 10, 10, 80, and how does that kind of all work out? And that doesn't really make sense and all that stuff. I understand that, but I promise you this. If you do... You will have financial peace through the financial storms. Let me pray for us. And uh, Father, I thank you that uh, when it comes to this area of our life, and we, we look at our little stats, and probably every one of us here is somewhere in, in, in some of those stats, that you have something better for us. You don't want us to, to deal with financial stress and worry and anxiety you want us to know that 
You will provide and you will care for and what we do matters in this area. So Father, I would pray that as we talk about this second 10, that you would help us take some, maybe some big steps and maybe for some they're not small steps but they're gonna make a big difference, that we would just create margin in our lives because God, we all know what the emergencies are. We all know that there could be another 2008, maybe not as bad, but there could be something that happens. And God, we, we want to have peace through the storms, and you want us to have peace through the storms. So Father, help us to take steps uh, for people in committed relationships. I pray that there would be some great conversation that happens and what that could look like. And, uh, and God, for those who aren't, that they would have the courage to just go, it's going to look different. People may not understand, but you're going to have peace, and you want us to have peace. So thank you, God, for the 101080 plan and just what you're doing in, in our community here and what you want to do. And we thank you for all the wisdom, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.